Today we're going to look literally at, at two psalms together, Psalms 42 and 43, and there's, there's an excerpt of it in the bulletin for you, but I would do you a disservice if I didn't read the whole thing to you. So if you'd like to, to follow along as I read it for you in just a moment, you can open up the Pew Bible right in front of you or, or open up your cell phone to that, that Bible app that you like to use. We're going to read these two psalms together. They belong together because of a common theme and even a, a common hymn-like refrain that we're going to see together. And some manuscripts don't even bother to give Psalm 43 a number because the psalms just sort of run together. So if, if Psalm 91 is a psalm for the fearful, then Psalm 42, 43 is a psalm for the sad. It's a psalm for those who are grieving, and it's a psalm for those who have experienced great loss. Let's read it together, a Psalm 42, 43, by the sons of Korah. For the director of music, a mascal of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and please my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? 
Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Don't get me wrong, I, I, I love singing the song as the deer. It's a song that was written in 1981 by Martin Nystrom, and just as soon as he penned it, it literally went to the top of the Christian worship charts. It's the song that we sang in place of the, the psalm for today, because it's, it's based on Psalm 42, verse 1. And, and it's a song that... that Christians the world around know. I love singing that song, but I'm just not sure that it captures the tone of Psalm 42-43. To me, you can have your own opinion about this, but to me, it's too, well, Disney-ish. It gives the impression that Bambi's running through a forest, and he just had a nice morning jog in this lush, green, beautiful forest, and all he's got to do is go right over here in this this beautiful brook running through the forest, and then he can drink deeply. So easy could he quench his thirst. And so he quenches his thirst. To me, the song, it's too idealistic. It's too happily ever after to to capture the true pain that our psalmist felt all the way down to his soul. If I was going to be perfectly honest, though, I don't even think the NIV translation really captures his pain very well either. Listen to what he writes in in the the NIV's translation in verse 6 for today, and that is in your bulletin. It translates, my soul is downcast within me. They, They should have translated it bigger. They should have translated it much more forcefully than that because this isn't a guy just singing the blues. Or, or having a good cry just once. This is a guy whose soul is absolutely being crushed within him. This Hebrew word only used here in this form in Psalm 42 and 43, it means that he was saying, my soul right now is vanishing within me. It's being crushed little by little by the load of trouble and sin that my life is. It's almost as if we could say his soul was in a garbage compactor. And it is being squeezed so forcefully that he is at the point of death. It's no wonder then that He describes his spiritual soul-crushing state in this way. He says things like, in verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night. And in verse 7, All your waves and breakers have swept over me. And in verse 10, My bones suffer mortal agony, 
as my foes taunt me. I mean, this is way beyond Bambi. This is way beyond Bambi running through a lush green forest. And this is way, way beyond a soul being just a little bit downcast. This is a soul-crushing kind of pain. Same pain, by the way, that Jesus felt in the garden. Jesus himself begins to quote this psalm. Same vocabulary. He says in Matthew's account, remember Matthew's account says this, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, quoting almost word for word, Psalm 42, verse 6, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So Jesus, he gets it. He, he understands where this psalmist is coming from as he contemplates his road ahead. The desertion of the disciples, the scourgings, the mockings, the fact that soon he would be hung on a cross. He gets it as he gets down on his knees and he begins to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. He understands it. He understands it as he, as he goes into Jerusalem. So emotional is he at his own rejection that he says it not once but twice. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. It was a soul-crushing kind of pain that Jesus says brought him to the very point of death. So at least one other person in the world can identify with our psalmist's pain. At least one person gets it. But I think, I think it would be wrong to say that that no one else in the history of the world has suffered this kind of soul-crushing pain. The compilers of the book of Psalms thought that this psalm had wings for people. And so if you open up your Bibles there, you'll notice that right at the beginning of book 2, right there is Psalm 42 and 43, a place of prominence. Don't you think that they wanted you to read this? In my pastoral agenda, too. Psalm 42 and 43 is right there. Don't know what a pastoral agenda is? It's a pastoral cheat sheet. You, you can go in there and find out the exact Bible verses that you should read to people in these kind of moments. And you know where Psalm 42 43 is listed? They say, read this psalm to people lying in hospital beds. They say, read this psalm to people who have just lost someone who they love deeply. They say, read this psalm to people who are in depression or suicidal. I, I think that this psalm has wings, doesn't it? Because we've been there. Can we just pause right here for a second? I thought long and hard about, about telling a story about trying to illustrate this kind of soul pain. And I thought about telling it right here in the sermon, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to because it's too sensational. You'll, you'll, get, you'll get distracted by 
these sad, sad stories. And you won't be able to hear the rest of the sermon. And, and what is more, I think that each one of you, as you sit there, you can think of the time when you were in that garbage compactor. And it was as if your soul was just vanishing. I don't think I need to illustrate it. And, and more importantly than that, more importantly than that, our psalmist doesn't dwell on the details of his circumstances. He doesn't. And I think there's a reason for that. I think it's because he doesn't want your eyes to blur with tears so that you stop reading before you get to verse 8. Because... It's at verse 8 when we, when we finally hear his main message. In the midst of, of his soul-crushing pain. And in the midst of all of these questions that really I can't even answer for you and Scripture doesn't answer for you, in the middle of all of that, we have verse 8 and... Psalm 42 and 43 revolves around verse 8, just like the earth revolves around the sun. Because it says this, By day, the Lord directs His love. At night, His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He literally points his love at you. His gaze is always on you. So super abundant is his mercy and kindness, the psalmist says. And literally, he changes his tune at night because he begins to sing to you. Just like a mother sings to her crying infant. Just like a father scoops up his terrified children in his arms and sings a lullaby. So, so God sings to those whose souls are filled with pain a song. And it's a wordless song. But it's a song that all the, the, the same says, I'm with you, I love you, I have not abandoned you, and I will lift you up again. Oh, my soul. We begin to ask the question. Why did you doubt God's love when, when by day he was hung naked on a cross? Oh, my soul, why, why, did, you, why did you doubt his love when by, by night in deepest darkness he he suffered to make a full payment for all sin. Oh, my soul, why, why did you doubt the existence of God when we find our God on Mount Calvary? Oh, my soul, why did you think that God would leave you in the depths? That He has no power over sin and hell. When he rose triumphantly from the grave, oh my soul, we begin to ask the question, 
Isn't there resurrection from this place of darkness and sadness for me too? There's an, there's an old aphorism that says, time heals all. And we might say that it's, that it's half true. Because the truth is that time with Jesus and time with his word heals all. It's interesting, if you, if you look at this psalm in all of its fullness, you'll see that it's broken up into three parts, three hymn-like stanzas and, and three hymn-like refrains. And each time, if you track where the psalmist is spiritually, he's getting better. He's coming out of it. With each verse, as he centers on verse 8, he's got a little less darkness and he's got a little more light. And with, with each verse, he's got a little less hopelessness and a little less, a little more hopelessness, I should say, and a little less despair. The truth is that time spent around God's Word heals all. And if I could just bring you back, back into the garden with Jesus for just a second, I think this is interesting too. Three times, just like our psalmist, three times. Jesus prays. And each time, he's strengthened. Each time, he's a little more resolved. And by the time he is done praying, he's ready. He's ready to go to the cross for you. With that said, I still don't think that this is Bambi running through the forest. But this Psalm 42 and 43, it is hopeful. Because as long as our Savior Jesus sits at the right hand of God, as long as our Savior Jesus promises to bring life and resurrection to where there is only death, as long as God promises to direct His love to you by night and sing to you a beautiful song, well then, well then, someday, we will no longer have to ask the question, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Because He will put into our mouths a brand new song in which we say, I'm not downcast anymore because I'm with my Savior Jesus and those whom I love. Amen. Please stand.